Christmas, everybody, for another episode of Space and 60. You've got Andrew, aka Thruster. Andrew, and this is Clint. And Chad. And we're here for a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, and thanks for listening all year long. We've got a really cool episode today. We're going to go back and just talk about all of the great episodes we've had throughout the year. It's been fun, it's been amazing, and we've talked to so many cool people. And I'd just like to point out, I'm the only one out of the three of us in the Christmas spirit. I've got my original 1980s Apple Santa toque or elf hat. I don't know. What, what do you guys think it is? I don't know. I was about to say, we need to start off talking about that hat that you're wearing there, Andrew. Yep. <laughs> so it's, yeah. It's, it's a red stocking cap for Americans. I think only Canadians know what a toque is. So it's like a stocking cap with... A black stripe across the the brow, or is that a sweatband? I can't tell. Brow, brow, yeah. And the Apple logo from the '80s. It's the the multicolor Apple. So, like, this is legit from the '80s. It is legit. My my godmother Irene worked at Apple, and she would always send me like this kind of cool swag from Apple, which was just awesome back then, but double awesome now. And I think you could sell that thing on eBay. Yeah, you could definitely toss that up there. Never, never, never. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> college is expensive, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got, got three kids going to college. Yeah, you got three kids. Yeah, that, that might be actually worth it. That's a cool holiday hat. And Chad's wearing his, what is that, Chad? Just red jacket. I tried to find something. I just don't have anything Christmassy. I don't know. Yeah, we all agreed to wear our ugly sweaters uh, or our, our, our holiday <laughs> attire today for the show, even though you can't see it. But um, it's so hot in here in Florida, like it's tough for me to even keep my shirt on for the show today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should come on up here because I think I sent you a snap from the, the weather app, but it's minus 22 outside here. Minus 22 Celsius. Yes. Yeah. But when when you get that low, it's almost, it doesn't matter. Celsius Fahrenheit. It's minus. It's cold. But, you know, all of Andrew's funniness aside, he's funny all the time, every day, 24-7. He's funny in Fahrenheit. He's funny in Celsius. Well, I mean, when we were talking marketing ideas the other day, we were discussing what conferences we might actually get to attend here in 2022. And we were talking about how do we go to, how do we go to shows? Clint said, well, we just go, we do meetings. Chad, I don't even know. Did you comment, Chad? I didn't. And I was just laughing off of yours. I agree with it all. <laughs> my my brilliant plan is to walk the show floor with a t-shirt cannon, of course, a bag of t-shirts, and I get a blaster doing we will, we will rock you because that's the way we do hockey games in Canada. The entire marketing budget on t-shirt cannons. I think that's that's a great way to spend the money. <laughs> Perfect. It'll be the talk of the show. I mean, that's for sure. Exactly. exactly. Maybe a couple Memorable. of suits, but you know, that's, that's how you make ah, that's a name only for if yourself. You hit somebody. That's only if you hit somebody. <laughs> well, you have to have at least 10 feet between the person and the cannon to maintain safety. <laughs> right? I I don't know. I'm, I'm not up on my safety standards, to be honest. Well, as long as we don't let OSHA know, I think we'll, we'll be in <laughs> <Exactly>. good shape. <laughs> no, no OSHA people listening to uh, Space and 60, please. I can guarantee there are no OSHA people listening to Space and 60. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think the space industry and in, in launching rockets uh, really is a uh, a safe, wholesome career. Yeah, uh, well, wholesome, maybe not safe. <laughs> there we go. Let's talk about some of the cool stuff we've had going on this year. Like we've had great guests from week one. I I think that's one of the the most. I guess the cool factor aspects of this show is like from, from day one, we've had really great guests, great topics. And to round out the year, we thought we would go through and talk about some of the episodes that we've had, play some clips, remind you of the people that were on the show and their journey in the space industry. So I think it would be good if we just jumped right in and started talking about uh, some of the clips. This is way too much introduction, Clint. Let's, <laughs> let's segue from t-shirt cannons to knocking down a cow. 
Knocking down a cow. <laughs> Who was it that knocked down a cow? Morba jaw. Yep. There Morba we go. Jaw. We had Morba on the, the first episode. And one of the things about Morba that I really enjoyed was his background on coming up basically as I think a, a young enlisted in the Air Force. And he was working in some some secret locations. And there was one instance where he was on the hunt for nefarious people encroaching upon the base. And he was out and about making sure that no one was a danger to national security. And he discovered a cow. Nefarious cow. Nefarious but imagine cow. if he had, instead of an M16, a t-shirt cannon. A t-shirt cannon would have been much safer for him (laughs) and for the cow. (laughs) (laughs) Safer for the cow, too. Yep. So uh, take a listen to our first clip with Mariba Jaw knocking down the cow. Here we go. Montana. Very dark night. As part of our training, we had supposedly a terrorist would take over the site and how would people respond to it. So, so we were always in this mode of training and addressing these sorts of things. And so on one of these dark nights, my supervisor says, okay, you and this other person are going to be part of this reconnaissance team. Supposedly, these terrorists took over this lunch control facility. So you go in front of everybody else and you basically give us all the information How many people can you spot all this other stuff? So I said, okay, sounds good. This is middle of the night, no moon, very dark. So I'm going down this gravel road, just barely having it kind of in drive so that I don't like no lights on or any of this stuff. And I make it behind this hill where I tell the person I'm with, yeah, go to the top of hill, transmit on this frequency, tell me what you see. But in the distance over to like my left, there was a light post way, way far away, and I could tell that something had gotten between the light post and myself because out of my side view mirror, I could see that the light was interrupted. And this was during Desert Storm, right? So I'm like, now my heart's starting to race. I'm like, this is not part of the exercise. Somebody is, is mucking around trying to do something to us here. So I get out of my vehicle and I have my fully charged, kind of, you know, like, like all my gear. I have my M16 with me. And it's so dark that I can't see anything, but I could make out in the distance, a shadow that just moved and stood still. Now my heart's really racing. Mind you, at this point, I'm 18 or 19 years old. I weigh like 190 pounds with like 6% body fat. Like I was ripped, man. And I'm like, the next time this dude moves, I am going to just butt him with my rifle and stuff and, and just knock him to the ground, right? So I'm like observing, I'm ready, I'm ready. The next time this guy moves, I like just bum rush ah you know and i just hit this guy with everything i have and it knocked me flat on my back this guy didn't move because this guy was actually a cow <laughs> i ran into a cow it scared me so bad a terrorist I'm, like, cow. I'm like this dude is huge <laughs> i ran into a cow in the middle of the darkness man so that was my most heroic moment at Malmstrom Air Force Base. That was funny. I, I love to hear that every single time. Yeah, no kidding, right? And likewise, like maybe not so funny, but knocking down a cow versus knocking down space junk and space debris. I, I think, you know, the research that he's doing around uh, cleaning up our, our orbit, uh, super interesting, super, super important. Yeah. In all, in all seriousness, why we had Mariba on the show, not just his interesting background and story, but he's an expert in, you know, space debris, space objects, and, you know, maintaining a clean low earth orbit. And I think part of it too, you think about what's been going on recently since that, that interview is like with Russia and talking about it being the wild West uh, still up there without any real rules or laws to, to govern anything. And now, you know, blow up a satellite, extra debris everywhere. So it truly is the Wild West that he, he nailed on. Yeah, we've had several countries that over the years have done anti-satellite tests, um, blowing up satellites and causing just an entire field of, of space debris. So take a listen and um, hear what Mariba has to say about the problem with space junk. We have plastics in the ocean and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. And everybody's kind of heard about that. And one of the sad things is 
that'll never be completely clean. So, so near Earth space will never be pristine again. We have to learn how to live within our own bathwater sort of thing, our own filth. And most of the stuff that we put up in space never comes back. So things in low Earth orbit, eventually, because of atmospheric kind of friction effects, these things will return. Like the Starlinks, you know, if, if a Starlink is like dead on arrival, it'll take it several years to kind of this uh, is the SpaceX. This is the SpaceX right. sort of constellation that, that exactly that put up. Yeah, so things like around you know a couple hundred kilometers altitude up to like four four hundred five hundred kilometers, but if you go higher than that, you know a thousand kilometers, twelve hundred kilometers. Now you're talking about decades to centuries, and then above that, it's like perpetuity. The things up there, and presumably once something's up there as well, big things become smaller things if they break up or if they get hit. So suddenly there's even more bits and pieces i mean what's when we talk about these twenty six thousand things that's not just satellites is it that's that's bits of debris and that that's right so so it's things that uh shards of things broken solar panels multi-layer insulation astronaut gloves wrenches you know all this stuff spatula i saw i thought i think there's a spatula up there i, don't, I can't it's remember who it was. There was there was one astronaut i can't remember who it was i think it was michael foley or somebody maybe working on the hubble and they had a spatula like a kitchen spatula i don't know why they had a spatula and they dropped it well, you, you know, there's some questions that I just don't ask. Who knows what they're doing up there, man? So moving on to uh, Susie Ember and talking about Mercury, you know, seeing the, the extremes of Mercury is pretty, pretty interesting to hear. I think it's very much like the extremes of Florida and Canada. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit more extreme. We've got what a you're minus 22 in Canada, we're plus 22 today in Florida. So for the Americans, that's 70 something degrees. I sit right in the middle there. Yeah, <laughs> you do, don't you, Chad? <laughs> um, I don't know if you'd want to sit in the middle of the temperature swings of, of Mercury, though. That's that's pretty. Uh, it's pretty wild. About 600 degrees in 10 minutes or so. Two pizza ovens, two pizza ovens. That's that's the metric I remember. (laughs) Yep. But I think, you know, as she was saying, it's like moving from 450 degrees minus four or to minus 180 degrees on Mercury. So a little more extreme than what we're dealing with. I bet it feels the same. (laughs) Yeah. So let's take a listen to Susie Ember and why Mercury is such an oddball. Mercury has an extraordinary amount of metal inside of it. it, has a massive iron core, basically, way larger compared to its size than any other planets. So that I means it has a strong gravitational field, or like stronger for its because size. Because it has more mass than you would yeah. expect for its size. And no one knows why it has so much metal. What is the gravity? And like, if you were to stand on Mercury, what would that, I mean? It would be very low because actually it's it's far less massive (laughs) than the Earth, but it's just for its size, it's it's massive. And so, yeah, so we're yet to understand really where all that metal came from. Or maybe Mercury was once a bigger planet and it got hit in its early life and the outer layers blasted off. And that's why there's not much rock and there's lots of metal. You know, no one really knows the answer to that. Maybe Mercury didn't form where we see it today. It's hard to understand why that would give us a planet we see, but it's a possibility. So there's lots of sort of questions about how the interior of Mercury evolved over its life. And if you're thinking about engineering, you know, one of the massive challenges we have is the, well, there's there are two. One is radiation and one is temperature. So radiation obviously being so close to the sun, but the temperature thing is really interesting because we're launching spacecraft to Mercury and they're going to orbit from one side to the other of the planet in a few tens of minutes. And that's a temperature swing of about 600 degrees Celsius. Wow. So it's not just the extremes in temperature, 450 degrees on one side, minus 180 degrees on the other. It's how quickly you go from incredibly hot to ridiculously cold and how you have really precise scientific measurements that are able to be made despite that temperature swing. For our American friends, how hot is that really? <laughs> oh, for God. You and your time zones and yeah. your measurements and your extra L and aluminium. Someone. <laughs> or no, extra something in aluminium, whatever it is. Aluminium. Someone else is going to have to work that one out. Sorry. It's hot. It's really, what is it? Really hot. It's yeah, really hot. Hotter than the hottest thing ever. Twice as hot as your oven when you cook a pizza, is what I normally say to kids. There you go. Wow. That was great and you know Susie also has some interesting perspectives and we we got some great insights on the legacy Kazakhstan cosmodrome yeah it's great to to hear um 
about her adventures and and just the whole again wild west you can go stand next to the rocket so long as you don't break the rocket i was gonna say clint how close have you gotten to spacex (laughs) yeah you don't you don't get that close just don't break a rocket (laughs) (laughs) but can you imagine i think that's you know that's something that i hadn't thought of before is going to visit baikonur cosmodrome like being a 1950s ish facility and you know seeing those older legacy buildings and you know i think as dallas was saying on there with broken windows and you know, I, I've seen some pretty simplistic ranges before, but simple isn't always less effective. I don't know about that. I mean, I've been to some neighborhoods in Florida, not not bad, sketchy neighborhoods, but, you know, it just reminds me of going back to the wonder years, like 1950s, 1960s, cookie cutter. Well, I don't know if it's clear, but Andrew is not wearing his American flag pin today <laughs> um, and definitely not the Florida pin today. Yeah, it sounds like he's got an axe to grind with Florida. And the US. <laughs> no, no. It's all good. All good. It's all friendly banter. <laughs> I, maybe just a little jealous because it's minus 22. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hear what Susie has to say about the Cosmodrome and Bepi Colombo. I think Bepi Colombo was interesting because we had one of our instruments on board that spacecraft. And so that kind of really ups the ante as opposed to watching, uh, you know, watching obviously watching people launch also ups the ante, but watching a spacecraft you aren't really related to launch if there's no one on board, it's interesting, but you're really quite afraid when you're watching your own thing that might blow up on launch. I was lucky enough, a couple of times I've been to the Baikonur Cosmodrome I really in, want to in go Kazakhstan, there. which is where Soyuz launches from. And if any of your listeners get a chance to go there, it's going straight back to the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Like when you're there, all the infrastructure is just in the 1950s. And you can't quite believe that it exists as a spaceport because all the windows are broken in the buildings and there's kind of like weird things, stuff, kind of Soviet space art everywhere. It's the craziest, craziest place. And you can go really close to the soil. <laughs> I mean, soil is quite a small rocket anyway. Yeah. But there's like a kind of a rusty barbed wire fence, an old soccer pitch rusting. And the, the guards are like, as long as you don't break rockets or whatever you like. <laughs> it's just, it's a really, and they have this kind of Russian priest in, with big kind of beard and robes who does this great ceremony and every all the press and everyone gets blessed with holy water. Well, and you they, were there for Tim Peake's launch, weren't you? I was there for Tim Peake's launch, yeah, which amazing. was which was mad because we all went crazy because it was, you know, Tim Peake, European astronaut, a British astronaut. So that was, you know, that was a big hullabaloo. If he launches again, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive to Baikonur and watch him launch. But, but I'm worried that the bike because I think they're moving from Baikonur. I suspect the kind of Soyuz launches are moving to another spaceport. Yeah. And and if you can get a chance to go to Baikonur, you should because it's it's the beginning of human spaceflight started at that particular launch pad. You know, Sputnik was launched from there in 57. The whole history of space is still still there. It mm. makes me really it makes me really happy that that it exists. Our next guest in the year was Christina Corp. Like this one was one that surprised me of all the guests and how much I enjoyed the discussion of Christina as an astronaut wrangler. Like this conversation went all over the place, but it was so great. And one of the things that Christina has done was sing backup for Buzz Aldrin when he was rapping with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And Snoop, if you're listening, you're always welcome on the show. Just come on ahead. But then also with Ringo Starr. So, I mean, she's been everywhere and worked with, you know, amazing personalities across industries. It's amazing. I think it's just, it's fun. She's having a good time. And, you know, I think it it shows. It shows. Yeah. I wish we could all have as much fun in, in what we do. And it, well, I think those listening will realize that we do, but I wish everyone in the industry could have as much fun as Christina. Um, here's Christina telling us about her time with Buzz, Ringo, and Snoop Dogg. So I always loved sci-fi in space. You know, we were big Star Trek and Star Wars fans in my family. And uh, But I have to admit, I didn't know anything about space. And I was a musician, very musical family, moved to Los Angeles to try to become a rock star. 
got signed to Warner Brothers. I sang with Ringo Starr. I used to tour all over the world singing backgrounds for other artists. And the funny thing is, I, I then I went to work for John Tesh, if you remember who he is. And uh, oh, he, sure. he took me under his wing and said, I'll teach you how to run my production company, record label and radio show. So I did that with John for uh, five and a half years. And I loved that job. But I was running his company from Monday to Friday with him and then touring with him every weekend. I was in the band and the tour manager. So in order to actually have a life, because I literally worked every day for years, I decided I wanted to have a nice, quiet, boring life for a little while. <laughs> and so I answered an ad in The Hollywood Reporter for Buzz Aldrin. And I had oh, wow. no idea what I was getting myself into, to say the least. <laughs> what was the ad wow. for? It was to be an executive assistant to Buzz Aldrin. And it was public, it was not hidden. Uh, who it was for. And I remember the day that I applied and I said to my husband, I'd like to him and say, you're never going to guess who I just applied to. And he said, who? I said, Buzz Aldrin. He's like, what's he doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally like my reaction to it because I had no idea what was going on with Buzz or space. But so, I think that it actually worked out better because I, you know, coming into Buzz's world with, with completely fresh eyes was, I think, what was really beneficial. For him and also for me learning about it and being so fascinated about this new world. Well, I'm glad That's to good. hear that Buzz wasn't looking for a background singer. <laughs> <laughs> Although that could have made been for, good. I did have pretty interesting background on his rap song, if you've never seen it. No, um, there's a rap song? Yes, there's a rap song. So about a year and a half into working for him for the 40th anniversary of Apollo 11. I mean, that's one of the influences I kind of have helped have on him, which was to get him to do mainstream things saying, you know, you don't need to convince the space choir, like to get on board. You don't need to convince the space people. You need to convince people like me who love space, who had no idea there was more than Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin who walked on the moon mm -hmm. until I met Buzz. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's cool. So we did this making of rap video with Snoop Dogg. If you've not seen it, you have got to Google it. Whoa, I was, I was just about to say, <laughs> I can see a collaboration with Dr. Dre and Dr. Aldrin together. I think that would be amazing. But you've already got Snoop Dogg. I mean, what's better than that? It's pretty awesome. And I am singing backgrounds on that song. <laughs> oh, wow. Way to go, Andrew. Canadian, foot, Canadian mouth. Yep. So, yeah. Oh, so it was a, purely an accident of answering an ad and not seeking out this life. Wow, that was that was great. Always love to hear about the adventures of Christina Corp. If you're not following her on LinkedIn, definitely someone you should pay attention to. She is always out and about and adventurous. Our next guest, personal acquaintance and friend of, of all of us here on the show, we've known for years, Chris Biddy, the CEO of Astro Digital. They've done some really cool launches, had some great missions, over a dozen launches um, under their belt. And like, I love how they got their start. It's absolutely great. And let's first hear from Chris on uh, what he thinks about how it feels to put something in space. It's really cool, man. We've delivered, I don't know, more than a dozen satellites since we started. And every single one, it's just that super cool feeling of knowing that, you know, some hardware that you you touched or that you developed in some way or had some some impact in right in the design or or whatever that's pretty awesome i mean it's it's a big motivating factor for a lot of us in the team uh, and for me personally too i think for us too it's a little bit shorter lived more shorter lived than it should be because we're always looking at okay all right cool we did that what's the next thing you know push the goalposts what's new what's harder yeah i can't imagine being able to come home at christmas and and you visit all the family and they say, Chris, what'd you, what'd you do this year? I put something at 500 kilometers in space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, still some people are like, wait, what? <laughs> you did what? <laughs> I think we can all agree that Chris's comments and his experiences on putting something in space or something we could all relate to with the excitement around doing that. So thanks Thanks to Chris for that piece, but I actually love how they did get their start. Thank you, Andrew, for taking us to the most important things first, but how did they get their start? Oh, the garage station is a story. I love it. <laughs> the, the garage moment, and this is one of the garages of garages when we talk about moments. Yep. 
So uh, let's hear about Chris's garage moment. Did you have a garage moment? I guess that's one question. We always see founders in the garages. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you say that because, uh, let's see, our first uh, handful of years were operated essentially out of a garage outside of NASA Ames in a in an old gas station and car repair facility. <laughs> there you go. The motorhead, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. It just fits, man. It all comes back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of great ideas out there. You know, we we sealed up the roll-up doors so we didn't have dust and bugs coming in the, in the station. And, uh, you know, built a clean room inside there. But Well, you built a clean room in a gas station? Yeah. Yes, sir, <laughs> man. Oh, yeah. You beat me to that one. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's 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 address that one. You built a clean room in a gas station. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, first of all, we had to seal up the gas station. You know, it had multiple roll-up doors for the car base. So we locked those down, sealed them up, got the foam sealer around the edges, the whole nine yards, covered it up with ESD safe film <laughs> material. And this is all in Coated. the NOAA report and the CFIUS. <laughs> it's, it's all in there, right? I wasn't even going to go there, but oh, yeah. we all know how clean a bathroom gas station is, right? <laughs> station you just bathroom. feel like you can never scrub some of that oh, stuff out. Man. Oh, man. Yeah, we 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 worked pretty hard and we had a pretty nice setup. It was It was pretty tight you know, nice and compact and full ESD benches and flow hood on, on top of the bench and clean room and everything. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty good for, you know, for being in a gas station. Wow. Sealed up the doors to keep the bugs out of the clean room. <laughs> I just still like Andrew's comment on that. You can never scrub a gas bathroom <laughs> clean. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I think he's still scrubbing. I think he's still scrubbing. <laughs> One way or another. Yep. But it's funny, you know, if, if you think about his garage moment and then what it feels like to put into space, uh, you know, leaving a piece of yourself in space, I think this really rolls into our, our next guest that we had, Ben, and getting your DNA into space. That was quite a uh, segue there, Andrew. I think you're getting good at this. <laughs> you're getting pretty Maybe. talented at that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think there are probably a lot of people listening that wonder, how do you get your DNA into space? Or better yet, how do I get my DNA to Ben? We have a consumer kit for like $100 where you order the kit, you get it in the mail, it uh, comes with a swab and you, you do the DNA swab and then mail that back in the prepaid envelope. And then we extract your, we pull your cells off of that swab, and we've already done a run of a thousand customers to process their DNA. We extract your cells off of it and then lice them open and clump the DNA together and pull it out using what's called an ethanol precipitation. And then so we get like a powder of your DNA essentially. And that all goes with a DNA collection of other species as well. And then, and then of humanity in, in a small capsule. And the capsule, the first one we're doing with our partners with Arc Mission Foundation, and it's called the Lunar Library 2, and that one's launching later this year. That capsule's already closed up and sealed and at the lander. Then we're working on another mission that'll happen in the next year or so, and we're, we're already on another moon mission. It launches on a rocket, and then there's a lander on top, and the capsule is a small part of what's in the lander. The lander can hold... I don't know, it's probably about the size of a kitchen table and it can hold about 50 kilograms and we're, we're a fraction of a kilogram because DNA is so small. And so this launches on the rocket. You get to, as a customer, you watch the, we'll have a live watch party for the rocket and we'll have a build up to the event. And then so you're part of this rocket launch in the community that's going up to the moon together. And then you, you get to track your spacecraft as it transitions to the moon and then it has live video for the landing as well. So you'll watch that live and then the lander just stays on the moon and has the capsule there, similar how to the Apollo landers are still there in essentially pristine condition sitting there on the moon. So it'll just stay there holding the capsule for forever essentially. All right, so getting our DNA into space. That was Ben Haldeman. Have you guys sent your DNA to space yet? Not yet. I'm still waiting to hear 
more about Ben's security system because I'm a little bit worried about aliens getting their hands on my DNA. You know, that was one thing that popped into my head thinking about that uh, episode. You you being worried about little Martians up there or heading to the moon and grabbing it and running off. I mean, the world could use a couple more Andrews, assuming they duplicate me, but it could also be very nefarious. Yeah, I'm I'm more worried about our DNA being on the same ship and the DNA getting a little mixed up together. Like, <laughs> not, not cool with that at all. I was about to say, we're going to be together for eternity now. I mean, yeah, no what kidding, more right? can you ask for? <laughs> oh, DNA aside or DNA inside, um, inside, DNA inside. That should be Ben's new logo, <laughs> DNA inside. Well, I was thinking more about our, our next guest after Ben, DNA inside the spacesuit. You're really <laughs> stretching <laughs> your transition. Yeah. I was about to say. That, uh, that segue comment went to that hat you have on there. <laughs> Probably it's all contained, right? Yeah. So our, our next guest from from week seven or episode seven is Dan Klopp talking about spacesuits, but has nothing to do with leaving DNA in spacesuits as Andrew suggests. <laughs> but are you sure about that? But I love this episode. When we did it, I think we were all surprised about how much we learned. We did learn that it's not wise to walk around inside of a spacesuit. If you're the only guy in the building, you could suffocate. But what we get to hear about first, wow, my Oklahoma accent really came out on what we get <laughs> to hear about first is space gloves, 64 different sizes of space gloves. Yeah. You definitely don't find 64 sizes of, of gloves at the, at the department store as you're looking for gloves. Not at all. Not even hockey gloves, huh? No, not even hockey gloves. Well, another big difference that Dan pointed out in the difference between the suits is in the glove itself. My engineers tell me that if you can design a spacesuit glove, you can design an entire spacesuit. That's the, the trickiest part of a spacesuit to design. And currently, I think we have 64 different sizes of gloves that we make. That just recently changed. The way that NASA and, and us approach that is if a new astronaut is coming into the program, they try on the sizes of gloves. If they can't find a size that fits them very well, then we will make an, a, a different size. And uh, um, recently we made a 64th size. So uh, a few months ago, we were only at 63 sizes, but a, uh, a new astronaut, Jasmine, came into the program. She happens to have very unusually long, skinny fingers and none of our existing sizes work. So we made her a new size glove. I wonder if they get to keep those. I mean, if there's 64 sizes after you're an astronaut, do you get to keep those gloves? They're not going to fit anybody else. I mean, some uh, some good snow shoveling gloves up there for you. Probably. probably. You know what they say, if the glove don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving right along. Dan's second clip that we chose for this year in Roundup was walking around in the spacesuit. So like one of the things I learned, as I mentioned earlier, is you can't walk around in a spacesuit because you will suffocate and die if you're in there by yourself and don't have oxygen hooked up and everything. So never thought of that, but how cool will it be to walk around the office in a spacesuit? Oh, I, I think they still do. They just keep the whole support team with them. I mean, just <laughs> rotate around. If you have a spacesuit, you have to walk around in it. Yeah, so let's let's hear Dan's clip of walking around in the spacesuit in the office. So I, I think there's a question that Andrew's dying to ask. I'm wondering if I should give him a chance to ask it. I think it's the one that's on both of our minds. The question is, do you ever wait till everyone leaves the office and you go walk around in a spacesuit? <laughs> Um, the answer to that is no, because actually spacesuits are a little bit on the dangerous side. When we put a uh, test technician in one of the spacesuits, we have a crew of at least three people around that are monitoring the life support system because they remember they're airtight. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to have the, the whole life support system to maintain the air circulation. Otherwise, you'll eventually suffocate breathing your own, uh, <laughs> your own exhaust fumes, so to speak. So everyone that knows anything about spacesuits just stopped listening to this podcast because clearly Clint doesn't know anything about spacesuits. <laughs> Andrew, what'd you think? Pretty funny. I think 
maybe the clip that we didn't get on there, but what if you got to go to the bathroom while you're walking around the office? You just let it go. I mean, those (laughs) things are built for that. Just let it go. I think that was teased in there somewhere. I don't know. I think so too. (laughs) Yeah. And so moving right along, another one of our personal friends that we've all worked with for maybe a decade or longer, Cam Shahid. Quite a while. And Cam is our satellite driver. Satellite driver who owns the joystick. Mm-hmm. The joystick, the joy, the joystick in the office. And so let's hear that story about the pranks satellite engineers like to play on uh, office guests. Cam drove the satellites at RapidEye, and it's rumored that you were in control of the joystick, right? Yes, the joystick that never plugged into anything. I we jokingly had we'll put one there in the control room just to have people. Like when we gave tours, I could see people just like eyeing it, going, "Like, the, like the, can I touch it?" I'm like, "It doesn't do anything." We put it there as a joke. <laughs> it's a lot like the introduction to Simpsons, right? The Actually, little yeah. steering wheel. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. Like, there's not. I wish there was a, a cool way. It's just code and it's just scripts that you upload to tell the satellite what to do. You know, there is no, there's no, there's no like engage button or anything like that. It's just, <laughs> you upload and it goes, right? And there, Space in 60 just bursts everybody's bubbles on how to run a satellite. I still like it and I still wanted it to be an Atari joystick. I mean, that's... For sure. For sure. For the rest of my life, I'm just going to think about that and be able to move it around old school style. You know, they should have taken it to the next level. So as the guests came into the office and into into the control room, they should have just had Space Invaders on there. (laughs) (laughs) We're really showing our age. I mean, there are a lot of people (laughs) in this industry that weren't weren't kids when when we had the Atari. Everybody knows Space Invaders. Come on. It's it's retro. Retro. But yeah, you know, Cam's one of the coolest guys in the industry. And I always wondered what it was like to drive a satellite. And Cam's going to tell us. What's it like to drive a satellite? (laughs) What's it like to drive a satellite? I've never even thought of it that way or asked. To be honest, I think think it's really... First of all, like it always, it's always been cool. It's always been amazing. It was never a job for me. I always thought of it as going into the office with some cool guys that I work with and, and I get to play with some equipment that's flying around the earth every 90 minutes. It's mind blowing when you take a step back and you look at it. And I always did that on a, on a regular basis because I never like lost the appeal for it. And I've always tried to keep in perspective that this is pretty awesome. Like what I get to do. It's, a lot of detail to answer your question, how what is the driver? A lot, it's a lot of analysis, it's a lot of data, and it's a lot of decision making based off of that data. The biggest thing is everything has to be planned ahead of time, way ahead of time. Like you're gonna task the satellite for like 12 or 24 hours at a time. Driving the satellite is not necessarily something you're doing, you're gonna do in real time. You're going to actually task the satellite to do something over the next 24 hours. Andrew, did you ever get a chance to drive the satellites? No, my my bubble got burst there. Like writing lines of code and uplinking them over my head. I was about to say, I'd I'd be good with the joystick, but yeah, one code, no, sorry. So I was offered the chance to drive the satellites one time and I was lucky I knew the cheat code. It was up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, select, start. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you don't typo. Yeah, no typos, no typos. But yeah, driving the satellite sounds like a ton of fun. Cam, great guy, longtime player in the industry, and it was a blast to have him on the show. The guest after that, as far as I know, the first musician that we had on the show, Steve Lee. Oh, second musician, Christina. Second. Oh, that's right, Christina. Yeah, yeah so there was yeah, the you're link right. there. Christina. Yeah, Steve Lee, he gave up the business for a while, moved to Nashville, became a real country star. Rock star. Country rock star. Yeah, country rock star, country rock, southern rock. Yeah, Steve Lee, Scottish guy, moved to the States, made a living uh, in music as well, like Christina. And 
you know, one of the interesting parts about his story was how he was able to take and apply his knowledge from business and entrepreneurship as a musician to starting a startup in the space industry. I just didn't want to be a musician anymore. So I learned an awful lot about business and the production of IP, the exploitation of IP, creativity. And I was losing my physics. So I thought, right, I've, I've got to get back to doing physics because I'm missing it. I'm just turning into, I'm going to end up some old bore in a bar with band stories that no one wants to speak to. I've ended up that person anyway, but I was trying not to be. <laughs> so before I lost all my physics that I'd studied for years, I saw the space industry kind of starting to turn into what it was in America. This was around about oh God, nine, ten years ago. can't believe it was that long ago. And I thought, well, look, all these little kind of things I've picked up being a businessman and an entrepreneur. I've not lost my physics yet. I love space. Couldn't we in Scotland do the same thing that, that Elon was starting to do in America at the time. I remember I was walking across the street in Leith in Edinburgh where my granddad was a docker his whole life. And I was really feeling in my gut I had to get back into physics and space. And I had this idea that I'd talked about years back in Boston, funnily enough. And I thought, that's it. I'm just going to start this company. I'm going to start an innovations lab in space. And there was, you know, Clyde Space was about two years behind us in starting up in, in Scotland, and it was doing amazing things. Craig was just setting the bar. And the downstream, the Earth observation part of it wasn't really discussed. So I thought, well, let's go for that. <laughs> and that was nine years ago when then I started it up. I knew how to start a business. I knew how to kind of get things going. I had great friends in Scottish Enterprise and... Well, that was the start. Well, that was a really inspirational little bit from, from Steve. Fascinating to hear his background and, and how he's weaved this and, and evolved. And with Steve's next clip, we talk about how we can take space technology and make it more meaningful for everyone on Earth going past the, the gee whiz of rocket launches to something meaningful for everyone. You've got to make it simple, right? Because for the vast majority of the problems we're trying to solve, we're not trying to solve those problems for other space people. We're trying to solve those problems for the general public by using space-based technology. And if they're not tuned in to how that technology works, they're just not going to use it unless we make it simple. And I think that's, it seems like that's the point you're trying to drive home. It definitely is. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going off, off point here a little bit and rambling, but that is exactly the point. You know, this, this, the, the utilization of our investment in space needs to be beyond the kind of ooh and ah of watching a rocket launch and needs to become something that is of great value to a hell of a lot of human beings on the planet. And when you say we are trying to do that, the bulk of the space industry working in the Earth observation world and even the launching world isn't actually trying to do that. There's only a few of us that are really being that rebellious and stupid and overly creative and going out of the industry and trying to do that. And we're one of them, and I'm really proud of that. But that is the challenge, is to do that effectively so that people start using and seeing the value in what, we've, what we're doing beyond just watching Branson float about in a tin can. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> pretty good clip but i'd have to say i think we missed the key part of steve's entire interview and that is the line every problem has a space solution that's right that's right <laughs> every problem has a space solution i wholeheartedly agree with that and so does steve and so does steve our next guest that we're bringing back in a clip laura crabtree of epsilon three she has people in space on speed dial on her personal sofa. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a pretty cool story of of where she was and what she was up to at SpaceX and then getting a call from from the International Space Station. 
Yeah. When you get a call from the ISS, you answer. Let's hear her Laura's clip on <laughs> Dragon is Calling. Was one of your proudest moments receiving a call on your cell phone uh, from somebody yes. in orbit. And that's why I just started thinking, I was like, how cool would that be? But at the same time, is that one that you see like a, was the caller ID there or were you like, do, do I let this go to voicemail? Or, no, it's so I actually had a dragon is calling phone number when, when we were docked or birthed, depending on which dragon you're talking about, we had a dragon is calling phone number and it said like dragon answer now in all caps. If there was a problem and we were on call, we had to answer and basically get called into mission control to make sure that Dragon was safe. This is uh, different than the call from the space station. Now, when we were training Doug and Bob about their last trip, Doug says to me, hey, Laura, if you ever get a call from a random Houston number or a blocked number while I'm on the space station, make sure you answer it. And I said, okay, I will. I was actually walking with my family on a, I think it was like a Saturday. It was on the weekend. I don't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday, but I was walking with a stroller and my kids are being kids. They're three and five, or I don't remember exactly what age is, but young such that they would whine a lot. <laughs> they were whining and my husband and I with the family, you know, taking a stroll down to the beach and I answer the phone and Doug says, Hey, Laura, how's it going? And I said, like, I thought it was a joke at first, but then I like held back from my walk with the family. And my husband looks at me like, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, just keep going. Leave me alone. Basically mouthing it without yelling. And so then uh, Doug and I just had a bit of a conversation about how things were going and, and everything. And I told my husband later, like, this is what happened. And he got, he got it. But at the time it was like, why are you ditching us for a phone call on the weekend? It was the Verizon guy. Can you hear me now? now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I really needed that extended warranty. Just keep going. (laughs) I received other, other calls that were more like on the technical side, but this one was like a personal, just, I want to say hi see how things are going, talking about our kids and and school, because he has a a son as well, and just like how things were going on Earth and how things were going in space. And I mean, that was like pretty cool. That is awesome. It's it's the perfect commercial for some cell phone carrier. I don't know why that's not out there. Someone needs to pick that up. Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. Exactly. But I think it's it's awesome. I, I love what Laura is doing now. Standard operating procedures, you know, Epsilon 3, her company is, she's taking her her learnings from SpaceX and she's applying it to everybody. I think it's so cool that you can take something you built for space, space technology, and then you can apply it to anything in any, anywhere on earth. And I think that's that's really the inspirational part of space. And our next guest, Awais Ahmed, CEO of Pixel, hyperspectral company. He's been building something great there. And uh, to build such an amazing company at such an early stage in your career is something that I've really looked up to from an achievement standpoint. And it's hard to run a space company. And let's let's hear how hard it's been for Aways and all of the achievements that he's had along the way. Is it hard running a, a space company at such a early part of your career? It is. It is. Uh, as Elon Musk says, it's like eating glass and staring into the abyss. Uh, but it is not quite <laughs> that bad. <laughs> there are times when, you know, you there's a lot, it's a lot of responsibility when you're running a company. You have other folks that are banking on your company to succeed, whose daily livelihood depends on you making your payroll. Their family's livelihood depends on you making your payroll. So it brings with it definitely certain responsibilities and and when when cash starts to run out which it has in our case you start to sort of worry about them that you know okay it's, it's okay that you know i i am in an age where i can take risks and if i don't get paid for uh, a few months or so you know i can maybe you know step back up and do something else but it's not the case for a lot of other people so it does come with 
that responsibility when we started out as, as students, not a lot of people took us seriously as well. We were able to get a lot of meetings because, you know, a bunch of students working on something like launching satellites into space got us into the meeting room, but then in the meeting room, converting into something that we actually wanted, not a lot of people took us seriously. They thought that it was just a student project that we were doing, and this was not something that we were going to stick with, that we had no idea what we had gotten ourselves into. Things were going to get a lot worse. But, you know, every day when my co-founder, I, or the team wake up, we know that we're working on something really cool, space technology that will actually go up there and work. So that gets us going. And when things get tough, just you know take a step back and and keep knocking on one or the other doors or windows and see which one opens because uh, after a while it will um, there have been a couple of times where we were you know almost out of money in the bank account and could not make payroll but thankfully uh, almost at the edge we were able to turn it around and then get it there that's going to be the case with any startup it doesn't have to be a space technology startup for that matter so things are definitely tough it's not all rosy uh, but at the end after you have gone through that and see hardware realized or hardware going up to space it makes it all worthwhile So it does have to be tough being that young and kind of getting into boardrooms and and trying to get people to take you seriously when you're just out of university. But, you know, you got the great ideas. And again, I think that's something that new space really brings into it, too, rather than maybe some of the old space uh, people that have been around. I think uh, I think that's that's really the cool part about new spaces. We have every generation participating and doing it in different innovative ways. You know, I think that's what I took from this year's episodes with all of our great guests and great ideas and achievements from all of their journeys across the space industry this year is that, you know, space really is hard. The industry is challenging, but all of these fresh new ideas from people that are breaking into the industry in unconventional ways has really made for a great place to work from an industry perspective, from place perspective. It's truly a global community. Thinking about it now with some of these younger people, something we hit on with Cam, you know, our ways probably has no clue what an Atari joystick is. So just bringing that full circle here, there are probably some others as well, but I don't know why that's stuck in my mind now. I think that's our, our little, our contribution to, to new spaces is bringing in those Key pieces of technology from history, like the Atari joystick. And vintage Apple hats. And vintage Apple hats. (laughs) (laughs) So this holiday season, coming from Clint, Thruster, Dad, we wish you all a wonderful holiday season, great adventures in new space. Old space. Old space, like Old Spice. Is that a... New space, old space. New space, old space. More like legacy space. Like... There are some great achievements from Legacy Space. We don't want to downplay that. All right, Legacy Space. So, are we Legacy are we ter- space. coining? Are we coining that term? No, no. <laughs> but don't spend your holidays hammering screws with Chad Baker. Spend it listening to our podcast, Space and Sixty, catching up on all the great episodes that we had, and looking forward to all the great episodes we'll have in the coming year. Happy holidays, everybody! Happy New Year! Happy holidays! Thank you. Happy holidays from Space and 60. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space and 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space and 60, where new space speaks. Oh,